What's up, guys? We are back. You're High Street Freaks. It's Kevin and Ryan, and I am going full podcast here. I am eating pizza while we're doing this podcast. So let's go. Um, what kind of pizza you having? It is Giannino's. Have you ever heard of that? I don't think so. It's it's um, definitely it's definitely Northeast Ohio. Uh, so my wife loves it. She grew up in Maslin, Ohio, and we thought it was just like local to that area, but it turns out there's one in West. 15 minutes away from me so every now and then oh. she gets a craving for it and she sends me out to westerville to get pizza so that's what happened today nice yeah cool um that sounds good man uh well what's up with you dude how was your week it was solid you know i i can't really complain i don't really know what what all i did but um man i've just been traveling so much it's nice to just have a week at home and uh enjoy the i think like the end of summer and the beginning of summer is like peak ohio weather when it's just the best so um kind of enjoying that you know yeah for sure that's um that's good man yeah it's it's i just got back to new york finally and it's like it's been that perfect not too hot like the july i basically like skipped the new york july swap weather which is just terrible where you like have to wear like the guinea tea or else you you feel ridiculous yeah. Um, just wear like the classic like white beater with a, like an open button down shirt or else you're going to sweat through everything. Right. Um, but we're kind of, we're kind of through most of that. I, I'm sure I'm going to get, I'm going to eat my words and have a miserable week and have a hot weeks, wave but, or whatever. Yeah. I'm actually done to Charlotte this weekend too. I'll probably be sweating my ass off there, but it should oh, be fun. God, yeah. Got a boys bachelor party coming up. Uh, the Buckeye oh, fellas should be good. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Buckeye are back. Yeah, <laughs> the Buckeyes are back, and uh, college football is doing some shit. So uh, I don't know. I we this feels like something we have to address on this pod. Um, obviously, it's Oregon and Washington joining the Big Ten, and just the Pac-12 just disintegrating basically. But like my, I've been pretty quiet about this on Twitter, mostly because I just like is an Ohio State fan. I just don't really give a shit, and more than that, like. Anybody with a brain could have seen this coming the second that Ohio State added USC and UCLA, right? Like, it's just been so obvious that this is going to happen. Like, I just don't really understand all the people who are suddenly outraged now. Like, you know? Yeah. There's all just this stuff about, like, you know, the Pac-12, like, you know, the Big Ten killed college football, the Pac-12 is dead, we're all going to die, and, you know, our pets' heads are falling off. And, And I think, like, the answer is just that, you know, maybe call me cynical, but like college football died 10 years ago, like, you know, 15, 20 years ago, like college football died whenever, you know, Penn state, Miami stopped being independent. Like you can go back as far as you want. And in fact, one of our lists, one of our readers rather me that field.com where you and I both work, is this a premium or free? Do I have to do that? It's premium. Shit. I don't know. I, don't I think know. it's, I have no idea. It's going to be free. It's going to be free. Whatever. At this point, yeah. If we can't decide if it's free or premium, that means we have nothing premium to add. So we're making yeah. it free. Yeah, I mean, like one of our one of our readers pointed out on there, one of our subscribers, that like there were articles about this in the 1990s, like in 1991, whenever Penn yeah. State left independence and they left the independence were in the Big Ten, and Miami did the same for the Big East. That like the money grubbing over TV contracts have ruined the sport and the fundamental nature of rivalries have changed. And like you always have this, like it's always going to exist. The sport has been changing constantly over money uh, since forever. And I think the reason about this, the reason you don't hear the same thing in the NFL is because when you don't have like revenue sharing as a league, you don't have like a a, a relative level of equity and revenue, then the difference, or you don't have a salary cap, also all these things, like 
the amount of revenue your team brings in is directly tied to its success the same way you see in baseball and other sports too. Like if you're a college football fan or or a college football program, you have to care about money because it's directly tied to the way your program is able to fund its facilities. And as a result, like, you know, in the big 10 now, right? Like the fact that it generates enough revenue annually from ticket sales, from TV money to build all those facilities means it's booster money to go directly to acquiring better players and all these things. Like the long-term downstream impacts the money role the sport and role success in the sport so this like i understand folks who are mad about it and i genuinely do like i feel for fans of oregon state and washington state and and, you know like a lot of other you know fans for the last several decades had their rivalries impacted by realignment it does suck and i understand it's not what it was when you were a kid but nothing else is either like Right. Coca-Cola doesn't taste the same <laughs> as it does right. when you were a kid. Like nothing's the same as it was when you were younger. It never will be. Like nostalgia is just nostalgia. It's always changing. Shit's always getting worse. We live yeah. in a capitalist society, baby. Like, what do you want to do? Like you're you're in the heart of it. Like, you know, if you want to go to a timeless place, go to Bhutan. Uh <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm sorry. That sounds like callous or whatever, but like I genuinely do understand the emotional grieving of it and like understand that it sucks, but like <sighs> To well, me, I mean, it just feels relatively pointless as well. And like it just that's, is... that's the thing, and that, that's that's how like any emotional response is is like, yeah, man, like I totally understand the emotion, like uh, on anything that happens, whether it's like something trivial or like something severe, like a real like a a death of somebody that you love or something like that. Like, but like you practically complaining about it isn't going to functionally do anything nor is it like going to change that it's just like a fact of life that things change. So I'm not comparing like college football changing slightly to somebody dying, but like they're both emotional responses and like, you're just, nothing's going to change. And I don't know. I just, I think the the thing that's gotten me is I've seen a lot of takes about how now, like now people are, and I guess it's been over the past few years, people have been saying, um, you know, college football isn't college football anymore because now it's just like a team that is loosely affiliated with a university. And like one, I think you could have that same argument is like, that's been the case for like 30 years. Like that's nothing has changed on that front. But more than that, like, I just don't buy that at all because I think that college football, especially for the top teams in the league has an enormous impact on the academics, the prestige of the university, the notoriety of a university um, in terms of just putting programs on the map and colleges on the map in terms of, you know, identity across the country. Like I could go anywhere in the world and have an Ohio State logo on my shirt and people would say or have some connection or know what that is. And like the only reason that is the truth is because of the football team. Even if those people don't give a shit about football in like Sri Lanka or something like that, the reason why they would know my lo- the logo on that shirt is because of the football team. The reason why I, I would not have gone to Ohio State had Ohio State not had the football team. Like straight up, my wife would yeah. not have gone to Ohio State if Ohio State did not have the football team. And so like to say that that college football has no connection to the university anymore is just not true. Like it's just completely like it is very connected still are they is it the same thing when you just like had students that happened to be enrolled in the university who like tried out for the local team and like made it well no but it hasn't been that for like 70 years you know like when's the last time that like 
people just enrolled in Ohio State and like made the football team like it was high school, like the twenties. Yeah, sure. It doesn't happen anymore. And like, I mean, like you're saying, it, like the international perception of stuff being tied to sports is so true. That's like why colleges fund this stuff. Like, there's not some, in my opinion, like there's not really any inherent need for universities to fund athletics, right? There's not like a, it's, it's not necessarily a public good in my opinion. Like it's great that it happens and it provides a lot of people with education, yada, yada, but like they do this as a recruitment tactic the same way, like, you know, (laughs) like celebrities do celebrities or like, you know, wealthy people, whether it's, you want to talk about like, you know, Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or whoever have all these charitable foundations. It's not out of the goodness of their hearts because it increases their branding presence. And like, you know, like, there, there is a direct marketing benefit to charity dollars spent, right? And it's functionally the same thing for athletics. There was a study that during uh, Nick Saban's time at Alabama uh, since 2007, like they had a 60% increase in enrollment and like a massive improvement yep. in student quality, the number of out-of-state students coming there, which increases, of course, to increase revenue for the university. Yep. Like there are huge downstream impacts to investment in athletics um, that far outstrip basically what the universities spend on them. And that's sure. why they're going to invest in them. That's like, that's the benefit of it. I don't know if I told you this story ever before I said the podcast, but like when I moved to Argentina for the first time, like the very first friend or the, like one of the first two friends that I made in Argentina told me she almost went to Ohio state for my exact major. Like if someone from, you know, literally thousands yeah. of miles away on the opposite end of the two continents, the opposite of the Americas and like, like near the camp. Yeah. And she probably didn't give a shit about the football team, but the reason why she knew about the university absolutely was because of the football team, like hundred percent. And like, otherwise it's just Bowling Green. Like she's never heard of exactly. Bowling Green. She's never heard of Kent state. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like they're like Ohio state is not the best school in Ohio either. That's case Western. Technically it's a private school in Northeast Ohio um, for yeah. very for specific now. things, for, right. for, for very specific <laughs> things. But like, that's the point is like, ask anybody else in the world, like who the, what the biggest and best school or biggest Ohio state's the biggest, what the best school is in Ohio. Most people have never heard of Case Western, and it's because they don't have the presence, the the brand that Ohio State does because of its athletics. So, um, like, as insane as it sounds, Ohio State winning the national championship has a direct impact on the value of my degree. Like, that sounds insane, yeah. but it 100% does. Oh, for sure. And, like, you know, the, I think you and I have said this before, but like the quality of our degree retroactively, none of us actually use our degree, of course, but oh, um, <laughs> and nor does anyone care about it after you have your first job. But like it has dramatically increased since I applied to Ohio State. There is no fucking world where I get into Ohio State today. Like yeah. I, <laughs> there is no chance with my academic, like I was a and good it's not student. That long ago. Yeah. No, I, I started in 2012. I started a decade ago, basically. I'm not getting into Ohio State today. My little brother has to be way better than I would to get into Ohio State. Like, it's not even close. Um, No, of course. And, like, and and look, the other thing, too, is Georgia and – or not Georgia, sorry. Oregon and Washington acted as rational actors in this day. Like, I think we're getting mad at the universities, like, whether it's for football relevance or just for, like, academic relevance, for academic inclusion, for, like, something that's based on academic alliance. You can be mad the Pac-12 died. But the problem is every single individual involved in this, whether it's like the, the TV executives looking to increase revenue, the Big Ten looking to increase its academic and you know football profile, the individual universities doing the same, increasing their revenue, every single person involved is a rational actor based on the circumstances in which they're applied to their job, which is why 
as others have pointed out, like I know Matt Brown had a great post today about that that fucking regent from Michigan. Did you see his thing going on about his yep. belly aching? I hate that guy. That by guy the way. sucks. Yeah. Oh man, he's fucking actively involved in breaking a strike right now, and he's getting like glowing profiles from Richard Johnson's Sports Illustrated. Because yep. we have the fucking most airheaded, loser, credulous, dipshit media in the world. It's college football. Besides the point, um, <laughs> is that that guy? I mean, like. Is complaining about this, but like as Matt point as as our buddy Matt Brown pointed out, like you can't have your cake at you too. Look, if you want to be an individual university or university president of the Big Ten who makes decisions, you like by the the title of your job and your job description, you probably should be doing this. However, don't then complain about what's happening to college athletics or like you know the history of university relations. Because you are the only people who can stop it. Like Jordan Acker, this fucking guy, that's his name, Jordan Acker, right? You can be involved in stopping this from going through. Like if you don't like it, you don't like the principle of it, like you and I can't do anything. I have no power over this. That guy actually has some some level of influence in the process. You voted for it, brother. You agreed to it. Like Santa Ono, Michigan, you said yes. If you don't want it to happen, stop it from happening. Yeah. Yeah. Say no. Even if it's just like some honorary thing with no real power. Yeah. I think like this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't unanimous by the Big Ten presidents. Like, you know, I think technically it could have if it wasn't unanimous, but I don't think they move forward with it if they didn't have unanimous. If Michigan or Ohio State say no to this, it no. happen. Yeah, That's for it. sure. hundred percent. And the league follows them. It always has, it always will. Even with the inclusion of other powers, even with Fox controlling it, like running the show, as people say, if Ohio State Michigan launch a real protest, it won't happen. Period. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. And um, I don't know. I just and like Pierce- we're seeing the November night game shit, right? Like we already agreed to a TV contract. They already signed off, and they get butthurt about afterwards. They November fucking night games. Right? They're saying no, we're not going to do it. Now they just won't do it. They won't have to do it anymore. <laughs> like, that's, that's insane. It. It's insane. Like it's just just say no, and it won't happen. It's just you. Like if you're the guy bitching about it, you can make it happen. Right? It, it's it's not you or I. And like I like in my defense, like I am a relatively like. Obviously, I view Ohio State, although I do have a clear like university you know, relationship to it, and I think the relationship between an alumnus of Ohio State or an alumna of Ohio State and a fan of Ohio State is fundamentally different. Like, I care about the Big Ten as a football fan for a large part, right? And I like this because it gives me better football games in my, my conference, therefore my team yeah. should improve as a result of it. So I'm okay with this. I understand why millions of fans are not okay with it. I truly do get that. Yeah, but like I think for me, it makes the product of the Big Ten better. It makes my like viewing experience better. I get better games. Yeah, like if you don't view it that way, if you care more about the history of the Big Ten, or the history of the Big Ten, or whatever, which again, none of these people actually do. They're all just grandstanding. Then do something to stop it because I can't. Right, and I I think that's what I was going to get to is obviously this is an Ohio State podcast. Um, if we just wanted to talk about it from a national perspective, you could go listen to our sister podcast or our brother podcast, I guess, technically. Uh, the flipping the field. Yeah. Flipping the field. Or both. It's, gen- it's genderless. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a gender neutral podcast. Uh, um, flipping the field. So, uh, But we are an Ohio State podcast. And from an Ohio State perspective, I lean more towards I don't give a shit about this. But a positive I don't give a shit about this is really what it is. Because, like... If I have more of a chance to play, if you add Oregon and Washington to the rotation of Big Ten games, that means more games against Oregon and Washington and fewer games against Rutgers and Maryland and Indiana. And like, that's a win for me. 
And it's like, yeah, that sounds callous or whatever, but like, it really is as simple as that. Like the more times that I can wake up excited on a fall Saturday to watch whatever game is being played, the better for me as a fan. And I understand that that isn't the case for the vast majority of fan bases because like, I don't know, like Rutgers is probably kind of pissed because I mean, I don't know that. that, But here's the thing, by the way, that that I think you understood that you were going to say too, and I'm probably cut you off is that like the vast majority of fan bases don't actually make up the vast majority yep. of fans. A hundred percent. Like 100%. the top, the top 20 fan bases account for a, a, a massive 90%. portion of, of viewership of, of ticket sales of all these things. And I'm sure there, someone's going to tell me I'm wrong, whatever, but like there's some math in this, but like from the perspective of people who actually tune in to watch all the games, who care about the national game schedule, who like are engaged in the things that makes money for these teams. Like it's the biggest games, always the biggest games. It is rivalry games to some extent. And like, that's been the point made is like, Hey, Oregon state, Oregon is much more valuable than Oregon versus, you know, Northwestern probably. And it just, it is true. That's hundred percent true, but no one's stopping Oregon from playing that game. Like you can yep. easily play it every single year. It's just your athletic department. Like people decried the loss of Texas Tech and M. That didn't get, it didn't necessarily get lost because of realignment. It's because those like dickheaded and pigheaded athletic directors weren't willing to come to a compromise to make that game happen because they were too prideful their win total. They want to play cupcake games most years. There but, are like, plenty. There are plenty of um, teams that have cross conference rivalries that they play every year. Georgia sure. Georgia South Carolina Clemson, Georgia yeah. attack. There's, there's a million of them. Notre Dame. And the, answer, and the answer is you can't really have any influence on a conference wide decision or a, a, a network TV decision. Like you cannot influence the Fox executives to say no to something. However, like as an alumni base as a fan base, you do have the pressure on your athletic director who is beholden to you people to make that happen. Like if you were loud enough, if you were angry enough, if you post hard enough, you really can get them to play that game annually. You like yep. basically Pitt and Penn state fans after, you know, 30 years off were able to badger their fan, their, their athletic directors and making that game happen. What happened every year? No, unfortunately it was only four games, but like if they again, post themselves harder, they can probably make that happen on an annual basis. Right. Like, it is possible to lodge those complaints to make sure that stuff happens. Um, and there is money in it. They, they, they recognize that too. There is money in this. Like, right. Not every program has like the Florida method or the Michigan method of never playing good out of conference games. Uh, it, it is like something that most fan bases do want to see is good games. They want to sell tickets. They want to have good teams. They don't care about the difference between like a nine and a 10 win season for the most part. Um, or are willing to take the risk of having, a, you know, an extra loss in the schedule to see a great game because people like watching football. Like that's the thing is like, you know, the level of good football games played, like they're, the number of those are obvious ticket sales. This are obvious. The the viewership, this is obvious. People want to see good football games. Expansion provides that. I know it sucks that it happened at the cost of like a historic league and a lot of rivalries too, but at the end of the day, all of you guys, all of you, everyone listens to this podcast is going to probably tune in to watch Oregon, Washington, or to watch Oregon play Georgia. None of you motherfuckers, except for like, you know, I actually, I shouldn't say that because we have cultivated a pretty lunatic fan base, but like that cares about football in a holistic sense. But like, I think I can't speak for you, but like I am, I find it almost like part of the rare exception that does actually care about a San Diego State San Jose State game. Yeah, that's not very common. Most people a, don't give a, a fuck exception. about that game. Yeah, most fans don't care about that. So I'd also argue too, um, what you were saying before about how the vast majority of college football fans are from like twenty teams or so. I think that 
when it when push comes to shove, the fans of those 20 teams are actually also more likely to watch, you know, a San Diego State, Utah State game than San Diego State or Utah State alums. Like that sounds insane. But like I think like a rabid Ohio State, rabid Ohio State uh football fan is probably more likely to care about college football as a whole than people who just like loosely follow a Mountain West team. Yeah, because you have investment, like as much as everyone wants to bitch about the playoff and yada yada, like more like more games matter when you're looking at the national landscape and who can play the playoff, like what the playoff implications are. Like if you're Ohio State in 20, what is it, 2021, and you lose to Oregon, all of a sudden you have to care what Oklahoma State does if they're playing Kansas State, that both teams have a chance yeah. at the playoff. Like you have to care about those games. And people love posting the scenarios of, you know, even if your team is like 10 and your, your team's like eight and two going to like week 11, you have to be like, okay, but what if, you know, <laughs> like everyone's looking at the 2007 scenario about Virginia and all the collapse yeah. happening late because people care about that. You want to find a way for your team to get to the dance and have a final shot at the end of it. That does matter. People they always put the scenarios. Again, that's maybe only true for 20 fan bases, but like, those fan bases make up the majority of ticket sales and revenue yeah. like at, at the high level. Like, I, I think that's, that that's does matter. Um, anyway, I think we agree on it. I'm excited to have them join the league. Um, I think it's good. It's I just, you know, call me crazy. It's good to have the entire West coast locked down. It's good to have more fan bases that care about football and invest in winning. Cause you know, we're all to remember that like what the big 10 looked like before urban Meyer where these schools, like, you know, weren't willing to play hard to win. Yeah. And the more schools you have, they're willing to play hard to win. They're willing to invest in coaching, invest in recruiting NIL is better for the sport. It just is like giving a massive contract to Kevin DeBoer. Washington has the highest paid OC in the country. Like, you know, Oregon has massive NIL money with some night stuff like that. Those schools being willing to like really try to do this. I think matters a lot. And of course, AM is the same, like in the SEC, it hasn't had a lot of success, right? That's true. And a lot of like teams have found worse results. They transfer conferences. I totally get that. That's a hundred percent a fact. But like But it makes the conference what, better. But what does that mean? You shouldn't try to add good teams right. to your conference. Like, <laughs> like I want to see those teams competing. I want to see Penn State have to play. Like we all know that Ohio State seasons, unless there's a marquee out of conference game where a team happens to be good in the right year, we schedule them 10 years in advance. Ohio State season has been a one or two game season almost every year in the past, like, you know, two decades. Like it comes down to like some combination of Michigan, Penn State, or a good Big Ten West team, whenever Iowa or Wisconsin have the right mix. That's what it's always been for Ohio State in our lifetimes. For as long as I can and now, remember, yeah. And now it's a chance for it not to be that way, which is great. Like Ohio State's win floor just dropped. Like you in the thing. worst in the worst possible Ohio State, you're still going ten to right? Like pretty much every year, unless you had you know all your players suspended, interim coach, whatever, like the fickle year. But like that was pretty much the floor for a very long time. It's probably an eight win four now. You could probably go eight and four at Ohio State if you have a shitty team and you don't get your shit together. You have Kerry Combs on the defense. Like yep. that's possible. It makes everyone be better and try harder when you have a competition. So, as from a pure Ohio State perspective, I still like a capitalist. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> Purely from an Ohio State perspective, um, I love the move. I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm excited that it's all going to happen in 2024, too. Like, it's just all at once. And I think it makes sense. And uh, yeah, I frankly, you could see it coming for a long time, too. But um, I think it's going to be, I think in the long run, it will make college football a better product at the top at least. So 
Um, and we are famously at the top. So yeah, um, that's we're both tops. Yeah. You know what else? Yeah. You know what else is a top? <laughs> top uh, home field apparel is yeah. famously. A top. I put the top on from these guys. I'm wearing. I'm wearing a top from Home Field Apparel. Yep. Uh, yep. They just uh, put out a whole bunch of new Ohio State stuff, and that's right. I, I will say this drop of Ohio State stuff is significantly better than their first drop. And you think so? Yeah, I think it's great. I, mean, I love I, it. Yeah. I I love this drop. I I think um it's a little more so like. When when you have this goes with like any product that launches ever. When you launch your first product, it's usually like a lot more basic and a lot more simple. Um, and I think that's kind of what like the first drop was. It was like they're playing the hits, you know, they're just like nobody's gonna dislike any of this stuff, whatever. But I think they reached into their bag a little bit more and um kind of came up with some more creative stuff, uh some, you know, more retro-y and vintage looking stuff. And uh I'm I'm excited about this drop. So if you you guys want to go see what I'm talking about and see some of these awesome shirts um, and sweatshirts, head on over to homefieldapparel.com. And if you have not uh, purchased some of these soft, incredible t-shirts yet, uh, you can get 15% off your first order by using the code meet at midfield. Um, that's just on your first order. They will put you in a, uh, a gulag if you, try to use it multiple times. So true. But... And we support them. Yeah. For doing that. Yeah. Um, uh, I want a little anecdote here too. Uh, now that I'm back in New York, I live with one of my good high school buddies who is not an Ohio state fan. He is from Pittsburgh with myself and uh, played football at the D3 level. Not a, not a Buckeye. He's, we're working on it, but um, we were hanging out on Friday night and we were pregame for going to the bars and uh, his, his girlfriend who is Australian came out with us and we, we baptized her into the college football world by having her watch the 2012 college football hype videos and best plays, just a classic experience that guys love to God. do. Um, you know, pointed out guys from our high school who played in the Miami of Ohio versus Ohio State game, definitely made that catch. Just classic dude stuff. And uh, I was thinking about it, I was like, damn, they don't have any Ohio State gear. And I have just such a field of, of home field gear. Uh, fortunately, they provided some to me as, as a quote-unquote influencer. So, I mean, that's that part. I also purchased plenty of my own. I am, like, stocked up on, on home field gear for a long time. Um, so, I was like, well, look, you know, this new drop is fantastic. Why don't I get some gear for the Aussie girlfriend, for my roommate? Yeah. So, we have shirts on the way for them to get them ready for the season, um, which I'm excited for. So, wow. even if you've already bought yourself some gear, get some for friends and family. Uh, why not? You know, they can use it. Uh, convert some Buckeyes, guys. Be, you know, proselytize. That's our role. Um, you know, Woody Hayes didn't put you on this earth to not convert new fans to Ohio State fandom. Yeah, spread, spread the good word. Spread the good word. But, man, I love that. You said 2012 highlights. I think that is, oh, like, yeah. 2012 and 2013 are, like, peak college football for me. And maybe that's... Johnny like, Manziel tearing shit up, yeah. And, like, James Braxton Winston. Miller. I think, like, yeah. Taj Boyd was, like, at Clemson, too, which was, like, peak, like, Clemson in Clemson, what they were supposed yeah. to be. Um, the 2012, or the, rather, there's the 2013 Orange Bowl when West Virginia beat Clemson like 70 to 33. Right? Yeah. yeah. That, that, uh, was, that was awesome. Yeah. yeah. That just. John, that Johnny Manziel like, won the Heisman. Jameis Winston won the Heisman. Jameis Winston as a redshirt freshman being the first yeah. freshman to win it. That was. Or was Manziel the first? No. No. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. 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 You're right. One of the, uh, let's see. First freshman to win the Heisman. Uh, it was Johnny Menzel first, then Jameis did the next year again. It's okay. happened 
a couple times since, right? Uh, Caleb Williams did it, obviously. Yep. Um, or Caleb Williams was a true sophomore. He's a sophomore. He played nothing. He's a true sophomore. Yeah, damn. But guys have done it. It's happened. Yes. Uh, but um, yeah, that that year, it was just like that feeling of college football because I think that's when like the spread offense like kind of reached its peak too, like the read option and stuff like that. And oh, yeah. we were just like getting all of these like super fast guys in space. And like all of the teams were just like addicted to speed. Like that was like Urban Meyer would just sign like the five fastest guys he could find and put him at receiver. And just like, that's what you did. Um, and it was, it yeah. was so much fun. Shout out like, to Dontre Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, that was and like Jalen Marshall was in that same class. Um, he got like Curtis Samuel the next year. Just like all he did was just find the fastest guy. Speaking of fast guys who didn't pan out, though, remember James Clark? Oh yeah, dude. Um, I sure do, man. Uh, he did a Louisville afterwards, right? Where he transferred to. He was from New Smyrna, Florida, I think, if yeah. I recall correctly. Just got yeah. off the dome here. I, I was thinking about it, and I, I met these. I met some new friends on Saturday, going out to a show, and I like know all of the geography. I know. In the world, like in, in the Midwest, really, or like anywhere in the country, that all the geography I know is because of high school football recruiting, dude. Like I, this girl told me she was from Plymouth, Michigan. I was like, oh, that's where Michael Jordan, you know, the guy yep. that's car was from. I was like, oh, you're in your wall of like, yeah. <laughs> I, I have to, I have to restrain myself whenever I go to like Florida for on vacation with my wife, and we're passing like these small South Florida towns, and I'll like point at the sign, and then I'll like put my finger down because I was about to say like, ah. Oh, that's where, uh, God, I don't know. Clark Phillips is from. No, Clark Phillips is from uh, out west. But um, yeah, I'm trying to think of. There's a kid who, Sam Bruce. Sam Bruce was from down in Florida too. Um, anyway, yeah, the Sam Bernini. Yeah. Yep. 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 But uh, anyway, um, we are going to talk about Ohio State football now because this is famously an Ohio State football podcast, and I think. The big thing that we have been bitching about for probably weeks, maybe months, definitely months, months years, was, was yeah, years, um, no, months definitely was the Ohio State safety situation. They spent all spring. I felt so vindicated by this. I have to say, the all of the headlines and the puff pieces about Josh Proctor and Cam Martinez being the starters, the depth chart projections that had them both at the top, when we were both saying there's not a shot in hell that these guys are actually the starters if nope. and turns out they're not they're not gonna be. Um can we just can we just insert the, the Denny Green audio of him saying they are who we thought they were here? That's, they, that's all we need to say. Like we we <laughs> we were right about it. They they, they were never they fucking suck. They yeah, suck. They, they never Although, I, I I wrote this when I the piece that I wrote last week about Ohio State's going to play their good players. It is never a good sign when the only highlights you have on your YouTube page are somebody else's highlights that you're in, and that's true for both Josh Proctor and Cam Martinez. If you search like their highlights, you'll either get high school highlights or they are in the um, Notre Dame play where Josh Proctor missed that tackle and the Michigan play where Cam Martinez just got absolutely cooked. Um, yeah, Josh Parker's entire highlight reel is that one hit against Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship in 2019. Yeah. That's the, that's yeah, that's the whole true. thing. That's, that's the whole... What else? That's it. What's Cam Martinez's? Like, high school return videos? <laughs> yeah, about, yeah. 
Didn't he play quarterback in high school or something? He played quarterback and return man, which is a classic yeah. combo we all but, love to see. Yeah. So like, and the the thing is though, like, I I do understand that players can get better and they can improve. The problem is that Ohio State has a generational athlete that was the highest rated safety prospect they've ever signed and um, who played significant minutes against Georgia when he should have been in high school. Um, He's, he was, he's also on the team. He also plays the same position as them. And they went out and got the top rated safety transfer safety prospect in the country to add to the team. So there's just like, I understand if that was all they had and they had to roll with Josh Proctor and Cam Martinez, I'd probably be like, let's go. Like maybe they're going to play better this year. Yeah, like there was just I probably probably wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't. But (laughs) there was just never a chance in hell that they were going to play Josh Proctor and Cam Martinez over uh, Jihad Carter and Sonny Styles. It was just never going to happen. And I like anybody who's listened to this podcast knows that I have been losing my mind about this for months. All of the headlines of people insisting that this was going to happen when it never was going to happen. No, no, I I do. Oh man, I am a little nervous though. Have you seen some of the follow-up comments this week from some of like the coaches and also from Austin? With them Moore couching that, it a little bit, and, yeah, dotting the eyes that like the idea of Cam Martinez still potentially playing like significant snaps yeah, against like and I simply don't believe it. I think it is too. God so damn it! I hate, I hate. Go ahead. Go ahead. Here's what's going to happen. Cam Martinez is hypothetically, and I say hypothetically, better in coverage than Sunny Styles. And I think that's what they're getting at is if they have Sonny Styles is more of a big around the line, almost an additional linebacker type of player. And then Cam Martinez is more of the in coverage situations. But I simply do not believe that that is actually true, that Cam Martinez is better in coverage than Sonny Styles. And it certainly will not be true for the entire season. So even if they start out that way, and that seems to be what they're like trying to do is they're going to put him in like third down pass situations. All it's going to take is him getting cooked like twice for them to be like, all right, Sonny, you're just staying out there. And guess what? You know who's also better in coverage situations than Cam Martinez? Uh, Jordan Hancock, Denzel yes. Burr, Davison yeah. Aminasen, Jair Brown. Like the top four corners at Ohio State, uh, quite a few of whom have been apparently cross-training at the, at the nickel position, are much better in that position as well. Like there is no scenario where I can imagine – where Cam Martinez is the best player put in the field for that position. There's not a single one where I can think it's the right move. Like, I really can't imagine. I understand, and I am genuinely worried about this, the idea of, like, putting Sonny Styles on a slot receiver. Like, if you put him on Malachi Corley against Western Kentucky, like, I don't, like, again, I love Sonny Styles. I don't know that a 230-pound alleged safety slash linebacker can cover Malachi Corley if that's the matchup they're going to have when you yeah, have in that well, position. I also know that Cam Martinez can't, so. Exactly, 100%, which is why I'm willing to try it. I'm just worried this is going to lead to us like playing him heavy snaps against like heavy, heavy run teams. Like, you know, uh, when you're playing in Wisconsin, when you're playing, you know, Notre Dame seems to can't have the ball. He's going to play against those guys. And then he's going to come off the field for another corner against, against, you know, more passive heavy teams, which is okay. If that's the case, so be it. It is what it is. Like maybe he's a matchup liability in some spots. I get that. And I, I think that's why I'd rather have Jahat Carter who is, a pretty big dude. Like John Carter's not small. He's like 205, 210, but can still move a little better in coverage in that role with Sonny Deep. But also, you again, you want players who affect the line closer to the line of scrimmage. I get yeah. that. It, it's uh, I hate something kid who just got the candy he asked for and he doesn't like the candy. You know what I mean? Like I, right. I, this isn't the, these are the safeties I wanted to. 
I am nervous about like the positioning of them. I wonder if, you know, again, like we talked about, they just seem dead set on keeping Lathan Ransom where he was at. I wonder if that's a smart move or if it's better to move him off somewhere else. Yeah. Um, they do have flexibility. They're like, like there's a, a big discussion about this from Devin Radcliffe, Buckeye Huddle, who's a great follow. Uh, not enough Ohio State fans read him. Kind of talking about the way that Ohio State basically sacrifices some um, matchups to to maintain leverage and to maintain kind of a flexibility and, and coverage. Yeah, which I do get. I am worried. It looks like it's a good team with good slot receivers, which you know quite a few teams Ohio State could play like in the playoff half. I'm not really worried about Roman Wilson at Michigan. God help me for saying that because I know he's going to cook us now for 80 yard touchdown in November. But like, I'm not worried about a lot of those guys in the schedule. You know, I am worried about Georgia putting a Don I Mitchell there, or about putting you know uh, Don McLevitt there, or about LSU putting Malik Davis in the slot and create a matchup problem. It does worry me. And that's a problem for much later in the season. We'll have a lot more evidence by then to see what happens. Right. I really like Jahad Carter. His his you know his film from Syracuse is very strong. Lathan Ransom, I think, is was injured on the stretch run and it's not the player we saw with Georgia. He's a very strong safety. I'm very impressed by Ransom, who again was like a, a, a Thorpe semifinalist. We forget that. Right. Um I think Styles is obviously a freak athlete you have to have in the field. Uh, apparently, you know, Malik Hartford's already been impressed. He's a true freshman in practice too. Uh Kai Stokes, I think, has the ability to play. Exactly. Uh, and again, like you can always bring in Jair Brown or, or put in Nick Beatison at nickel if you need to do that. That's fine. You can always put in the third corner there if you have to do that in certain matchups. I want to see it happen, obviously, because I want to see Sunny on the field. Um, the number of sub packages they're going to deploy this season is pretty interesting to me. Like the idea of, you know, if the idea of Sunny Slav come off the field for a sub package or CJ Hicks go in for one in the Jack role, like there's just so many different guys looking to specialize roles. Yeah. But I'm curious how that plays out. So and like trusting Knowles with substitutions with with uh, uh we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. And so that that kind of gets into the next topic. I did want to talk about um a lot of what we're gonna see with substitutions and stuff on the defensive side of the ball. Cause it seems well, Ryan Day literally said, um, we'll get into the second part of this, but he said we're gonna substitute a lot more at linebacker um and the defensive backfield. Um, and substitute less on the defensive line. And we'll get to the defensive line part in a little bit. Um, But I I think that that is what we're going to see. And it's very NFL. um, It's a very NFL approach to defense is having those sub packages and having those specific players that can come in and fill a specific role. Um, And we'll we'll see how it works. Um, The only downside to that is you're getting pretty complex at that point, I guess. But also not really because if oh you no, is Ohio State going to try to be the smartest guy in the room for the right. you know the, the, the first every time, yeah. season ever under Ryan Day? Wow, that's great. Like, he never does that. Yeah. yeah, but um, I like that is the concern is that it could get too complex. But um, if you do it right, and you have guys who have defined roles, like I I think it's fine. You know, I I would get I would be worried if you had like Sunny Styles and you were building the entire defense around this true sophomore who is like should have been in high school last year. And you had him like moving from um, uh, position to position or whatever, like that would concern me, but like putting in CJ Hicks for a play to do a very specific job and then having him trot to the sideline afterwards, like that's, that's fine with me. So I am excited to see all of the packages and sub packages and stuff like that, um, that Ohio state can deploy this year. Um, and I, I mean, honestly, it's a welcome change. I think they, Ohio State has for many years 
Um, especially when I think there was, there was a point in time and it was around 2017 maybe um, that it seemed like uh, Greg Schiano and co um, were making the Ohio state defense a little too complicated um, for that was the, that was at least the narrative that things had gotten too complicated for the, the players and it didn't have great results. Um, I think Shiano kind of coached it like an NFL team and had a different game plan for every week. Uh, and and that, that was a little hard when you're teaching college students how to still play yeah. a game. Um, I don't think that that was necessarily the wrong approach because you've seen it work successfully at other programs. I think Greg Shiano was just a terrible teacher. Um, yeah. And that like that that's the problem. It That only works if you are good at teaching the technique and the roles and stuff like that and a genuinely teacher who cares about your players learning and not just doing a job and i think i i don't have a concern about jim knowles in that department if there is anything that jim knowles is good at it is as a teacher so um, yeah i I think if anyone can pull it off it is jim knowles i think my thoughts are just on rotations broadly in terms of like meaningful snaps or like games that are in doubt we're going to talk about the defensive line in a second. And that group is, I'm going to get into like much more detail here, but like broadly, it should be a four man rotation, defensive end, a four to five man rotation, defensive tackle, um, a three to four man rotation at the true linebacker spots, a two man rotation at the Jack spots and a five to six man rotation at safety with maybe a four man rotation at corner. Like, I think if you have it basically structured that way, I think you're fine. I think, like, I think you have enough playable guys in those spots in the right packages that you're okay. The question is just how do you substitute? Are you going to get caught substituting late? Because like, you know, again, I've, I've talked about the four defensive coaches things a lot. It's harder to organize players substitute in and out when you're not like, you don't have a full defensive staff. You don't have a guy for each group. You have Jim, Jim Nolte's chairman linebackers and also do substitutions. It's a bad idea. There's a lot of shit that can go wrong by doing that. But I think the, the, the overall structure of the way they're going to substitute, if they keep it that short, that's fine. Um, and meaningful snaps. I think you can stay fresh enough. And maybe I go another guy or two deeper defensive end or, or defensive tackle, which again, we'll get into in a second because the way those positions are structured, but I think your meaningful snap counts in those moments is fine. It's, it's fine to do it that way. You have enough good players. You have enough depth for now in recruiting before you lose a lot of these guys that you're okay to do it that way. Um, I guess we're going to see, right? That's kind of the, the, the answer is we're going to see what happens. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I am just correct. Like, like I'm assuming minds on this because like on paper, the talent and the experience on defense should call for a top five to 10 group. There's no reason it shouldn't be that way in scoring defense, total defense, SP plus and F plus um, like the tools are all there. Just the fact that nothing changed the defense that you still have this discord between Larry Johnson and Jim Knowles, that you still have the same guys coaching a position. You still only have four defensive coaches. You don't have a full complement for the defensive coaching staff. Like those things make me worry about like what has structurally changed to make this better. Cause you had talent last year too. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I would hesitate to say strongly that they had talent last year. Um, I, I mean, they, they did to a point, but I like if you really look at what was happening last year, it was very rarely, oh, Ohio State got out schemed. It was 
well, this player, a player fucked up an assignment. Yeah. And so like, I, and like, I'll I say get, the Michigan game was a bit of both, right? The Michigan game it was, was both. You, you, you put players who weren't good enough in bad positions. It was. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that, that, that definitely was. And I, I think you can see the immense regret <laughs> that Jim Knowles has about that game and the comments that he's had since then. And I like, I genuinely believe that he is going to learn from that. And I also believe that that game was still winnable despite that. But of course it was. Yeah, they just they just scored like a fucking ten. Yeah, they just yeah. have soft mentally a mentally soft team. Yeah. So um, that that was that was the issue there. Like there yeah. were a few mistakes, but it was still very winnable despite those mistakes. I I just I, I like the the defense last year. There were times when I thought that um, in the past it's been very clearly the coaching, but last year, man, like. There's a reason why those players aren't like going to be making NFL rosters and stuff like that. Like, there's a reason why Ronnie Hickman went undrafted. Did he go undrafted or did he get drafted in like the sixth? Undrafted? Or, or, did he go? Um, I think he went undrafted. Maybe he dropped away the Browns. Let me check. Same, um, I'm checking right now. He went undrafted. Same with Tanner McAllister. Like, yep. those are two. And like, you're immediately replacing Tanner McAllister and Ronnie Hickman with. Sonny Styles and Jihad Carter, who is the number one safety transfer transfer safety in the country. Like that's a big improvement. Like that is not a small improvement in my mind. Yeah. Um, I think the corners were bad last year, frankly. Like they injured the number too, of times yeah. and injured. And the number of times that they were in position and simply didn't make the play. Like I I don't know. Like the the time I don't think the like on a grand scheme of things, I don't think the problems on defense last year were scheme. And so I frankly am pretty fine running it back with um, no strong structural changes. But like you say that, but you don't really know what kind of. You don't know until you know. Yeah. You know, and and we we just spent this entire time talking about all these packages that they're going to install for different players. And to me, that sounds like a structural change. So. um, Yeah. Yeah, and I think you said we'll too, like the, the 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 body type difference of like basically swapping Cam Brown for Benison, of swapping like you said Styles and Carter for for Hickman and uh, and McAllister, the idea of putting CJ Hicks in the field, like the level of speed and size being substituted in, yeah, does feel different. I've even taken Javante John Baptiste off for a guy like Kenyatta Jackson, right? I mean, like that is it's different. A hundred percent, it's different. I just like. I'm once bitten, twice shy, or in this case, thrice bitten, fourth shy, based, or what, right. let's go back to 2018, yeah, I mean, like... In like four years. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you know, like... No, I get it. I, I just, maybe I just sound like a, a whiny fan here, I'm sure I do that a lot, but, like, it just makes me nervous until I see it, yeah. and the thing, too, is, like, with this schedule... Western Kentucky can throw the football, but they're a very one-dimensional offense. Like, Notre Dame's a very one-dimensional offense. They can run the ball, have a good line, but they can't pass the football to anybody. Like, you're not going to know, really, until you play Penn State. Um, that That's the thing. It's like, you, 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 we can see a lot. Like, but until you play Penn State on October 21st, like, I'm sorry, Maryland, West Kentucky's not moving me. Notre Dame's not moving me. Uh, you know, Maryland's not moving me. It's Penn State. It's Penn State. And like Wisconsin, yeah. maybe they figure out an offense by the time Tim Murray has a chance to get his feet underneath him there. Obviously, Braylon Allen's fantastic. Phil Longo at least has a good first year track record. Like, you should have two tests on offense by the time you play Michigan, which should give us a clarity of it. But like, yeah, I think we're going to see it. We're going to see some. Pa- I'm very curious to see it. 
I am hopeful. Some of you be hopeful. I'm trying to be more positive. I promise I am. It just makes me nervous. Well, we, we can be a little negative about this. Um, Ryan Day also talked about the defensive line. Um, when he was talking about being rotating a lot more at the other positions, he said that he thinks they're going to rotate a little less at the defensive line position. My reaction to this is I just frankly do not believe that that's true. What was your reaction to this? Yeah, I tend to agree. And I think it's also like a pretty wrong-headed approach from a lot of the people. Like people have complained about Larry Johnson's rotations, who I don't think really have the context of the rest of the country. Like, look, the only team, and again, this is just it's in a small sample size, small sample size sport. I know all of this. The only teams you can compare the recruiting depth of Ohio State to are Georgia and Alabama. Right, that's the only comparison for Ohio State on talent level. Maybe Clemson, D line specifically, but really it's just Georgia and Bama. And Clemson's obviously gonna, you know, give it two years. That's gonna be a lot different, um, in my opinion. But their snap counts were fine. Like you, you could argue maybe like JT two will out individually should have played a few more snaps. But like if you just compare these guys to the twelve game regular season. What they were doing compared to Georgia and Alabama, like they were actually playing guys more than that in most cases. Like there were not really players. There was one player in all of Bama's defensive line uh, and Byron Young who played more than JT Malawa. No one on Georgia's D-line played more. Uh, you know, their top D-lineman on staff at Georgia was Michael Williams, who through 13 games played 349 snaps. JT Tumaloa on 12 games as a true sophomore played 453 snaps. They had three guys in the D-line who played more snaps than Georgia's top defensive linemen in 12 games compared to 13 games. Like, their rotation was already pretty short. The problem is the players weren't effective. Like, that is the challenge. And to get to another point that I'm just going to hammer my fucking classics here is, like, you know what the Mikmarati injury history is, right? We all know this. Do we really think playing the most important players more snaps when we know their bodies are properly trained to handle the record of that is not going to result in more injuries? Do you want to get CG Tumalo hurt? It's also a defensive line. Like you should be able to rotate. When you have guys who are talented and deep, you should rotate them because that's what defensive line does. You cannot play yeah. as a tackle who's taking blocks two on one most of the game. The way you can play a safety or a linebacker, it doesn't work that way. Like you cannot play. You cannot play that attack with 600 snaps. You can't play an end 500 snaps. Like it very, very, very rarely happens. And I understand in past years, like Joey Bosa or Chase Young, that happened a little more often. That's true. But Ohio State also was at a lot bigger differential in talent in those games. And Chase Young didn't have to go 100% every snap because of how weak the schedule was and how bad the tackles were not in the yeah. line in the Big Ten. It's different nowadays, right? When Ohio State plays like better competition, the floor of the Big Ten has been raised. The O lines of the Big Ten are better right now. Like, like these guys have to be rested to play effectively. Again, JT played 453 snaps. Zach Harrison played 436 snaps. Uh, J- uh, Jack Sawyer played 314, and, J- and JJB played 240. On the defensive tackles, you had four guys over the 220 mark with Tyleek Williams, 228, Mike Hall, 250, Ty Hamill, 268, and Teron Vincent, 454. And a lot of those guys were injured for some of those games, too, right? Like, mm-hmm. excuse me. Um, there were guys injured for part of that. You know, on Bama's entire D line, I just named four guys who played 220. Sorry, I named seven guys who played, how many was it? Eight guys? Eight, eight players guys. who played 220 plus. Bama had four who played 220 plus. Again, it's a three down front, but it's the same thing. At Georgia, if you look at them, they had uh, five total guys who played 220 or more. Like Ohio State is already playing a lot of guys, a lot of snaps, the pretty short rotation. They don't need more rotation. You need to play your best players 
keep them fresh with smart substitutions. But like really your four guys at the end, and sorry, I can't remember as I'm ranting here, I thought let me talk, but I'm done soon. Uh, you should be playing JT2 Malowell. You should be playing Jack Sawyer. You should be playing Kenyatta Jackson and Katie Curry. Those are your defensive ends. Your defensive tackles are Mike Hall, Tyler Williams, Ty Hamilton, Tyler Malone, and probably Hirokano a little bit too. Like Jane McKenzie shots at the fucking field. If you play those nine guys, the majority of your snaps, like 200 plus each easily, that's fine. Like, you, you can have depth substitution situationally. Obviously, you recruit guys like Jason Moore, like Caden McDonald um, that are coming in as high level talents. Like those guys should play somewhat. But by and large, those are your nine guys in key moments. If anyone else in the field besides that, that's fine. And really, like you need to rotate just the amount they were doing or a little bit less to keep these guys fresh but still effective and on the field at the right moments. They do not need to be doing drastic cuts to the rotation just because Javante Jean-Baptiste fucking sucked or because Shaq yeah. Swerve's ineffective or because, you know, uh, Jerron Cage was getting blown up the ball at times or, or Teron Vincent couldn't do fucking anything. Teron Vincent was a 300-pound man who played 454 snaps, the most in the whole D-line. That is insane. You do not need more snaps for him. He's a big boy. These are big boys. That's not how it works. They beefed up Tyreek Williams again because they have no fucking clue they're doing their S&C. He's like up to like 325 now, I think they said. Like, that guy cannot play 500 snaps in a season. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, I understand I, they used to enjoy Bosa in 2014, it doesn't work that way. Those guys get hurt too. We got Joey Bosa hurt. We got Nick Bosa hurt. We got Chase Young hurt at times. Like, let them yeah. just fucking stay healthy and play effectively. Yeah, you you definitely hit on it. I think it's just a misunderstanding of how the defensive line works, and more than that, it's a reaction as you hit on to the rotations not going well, and so their fix to the problem is well, we'll just play those guys less, which is not a realistic solution. Like, you just you simply cannot have a you can't just play the two starters the entire game. Like that's not, that's not at all how it works on the defensive line. Um, and I think the, the beef that people have, which is a correct, correct assessment is that, um, Javante John Baptiste sucked and yeah, he did. Jack, and Jack Sawyer was ineffective because he cross trained at a position that he barely played. Anyway, um, that that's, that's, that's a different discussion, but both of those guys weren't good when they played. And so people's response was, well, you know, Zach Harris, who, yeah. who also, who also was not a good pass rusher. Um, yeah. and JTT need to play the entire, like all the time. And that like, that's just not realistic. And that's not the real solution to the problem. The, the solution to the problem is just get better at developing players or get better players. Like, you can complain about what's happening at the depth, but like you have to have four defensive ends. You have to, it's not an option. Like you can't just have two defensive ends. That's, that's yeah. not, that's not a choice. So going up and tighten it, like saying you're going to tighten the rotations. Like that's not, that's not an answer to the problem because like, that's, it's not like, it's not, it's not feasible. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, I, I, as somebody who, if, if you, think that just running around on the field like a safety does or a corner does is the same thing as the physical exertion of pushing and moving and sprinting full speed while um, trying to stop and push through somebody who's trying to overpower you. It's a completely different type of physical exertion. And 100%. I, would, I would encourage people to try playing a sport maybe one time. Um, I, I mean that sincerely because like when I like, started playing basketball and started like guarding people in the post. It's a completely different type of tired when you are like exerting your entire body weight on somebody 
than it is when you just like go and run around for a while. So um, it's, it's just not feasible to keep those guys on the field for as long as people seem to think that they should stay on the field, especially and those guys are 250 pounds too. So um, I don't know. It's just, I, that's why I simply do not believe it. I think it's just an easy lip service thing to like acknowledge fans like, Oh yeah, we're going to cut their, their rep. It's not going to happen. Like it's, it, it's yeah. not realistic. There's no way that that actually happens. And like, I think the other, the other thing is um, you kept mentioning Joey Bosa and Chase Young and Nick Bosa. They're freaks. They're not. They're exactly. Yeah. Like if, if you're standard and I understand the standard at defensive end has become that. And like Ohio state has earned that because I mean, those, those were the guys who locked it down, but like, it's disrespectful to Joey Bosa, Chase Young, and Nick Bosa to just expect every defensive end that comes after that to just be them. Because it's not realistic. Yep. It's not. They were freaks for a reason. Chase Young was the best pass rushing defensive end we've ever seen for a reason. Like, yeah, freak. Nick Bosa is the best defensive player in the NFL right now. Yeah. He's a top three By player far. in the NFL. By far. Yeah. yeah I, I, the, the defensive player of the year, defensive MVP wasn't close. Like, it was clearly, clearly Nick Bosa last year. And, like, Yep. So you're talking about like probably the most effective pass rusher in college football history in Chase Young and the current best player on the defensive side of the ball in the entire NFL in Nick Bosa. And you're wondering, well, why can't Ohio State just do that every year? It's great. I, like, I, I wish we could. Yeah. And also something I want to point out here too, just from like just a, a, a proof standpoint, do you know the highest snap counts for JT Dumoulin and Zach Harris last season? Which games they played the most snaps in? Michigan. It was, in fact, Maryland, the game before Michigan. Oh, good guy. Uh, and, and then look what happened for JT and for Zach Harris, the defensive line against Michigan and against UGA, where they wilted the second half. The D-line wilted the second half of those games. Couldn't get a fucking stop and get off the field. Yeah. JT played his six highest snap counts in the final six games of the season. Zach Harris did the exact same thing. Those guys were playing more snaps than they did before. They were exhausted. Yep. They were getting tired because they were playing high snap counts over and over again. And it bit them in the fucking ass when they collapsed against, against Michigan and against Georgia. Those teams in the second half absolutely wilted. Um, in fact, the highest snap count of the season for Teron Vincent, also Maryland. The highest snap count of the season for, sorry, the second highest snap count of the season for Ty Hamilton was Maryland. The, you know, basically these guys were getting dinged up. They were exhausted. They were not playing effectively because they were playing too much. The rotations were too long. You have to preserve those guys until Michigan. Like, like you can play, these guys also played huge snap counts against Penn State. Zach Harrison played over 60 snaps against both Penn State and Maryland. Why is that happening? Like yeah. that doesn't, it's because the coach has not doing an effective job getting guys in the field and making correct substitution packages well, because the guys earlier in the suck. game. Of course. Right. And like the, the answer to this is Larry Johnson, develop your players again and don't have shitty players behind them. And I think based on the camp reports, we have reason to believe that Kenyatta Jackson's a dude, the Caden Curry's a dude yep. that these guys can play alongside Zach and, and, and uh, I'm so sorry, around JT and Jack and not have a massive drop-off weight with JJB coming on the field. I think that should happen. I hope to God it happens. But, like, you do have to be wary and observant of your staff counts, and you have to preserve these guys' most important moments. You can't over in the season. It is the exact wrong opinion that they should be cutting these, like, rotations earlier in the season. Like, you just don't need it. They need to get better players. Like, that, like I'm sorry, that sounds like a simple answer, but it comes down to recruiting and development. 
your players in the rotation have to play better. It should be an eight to nine rotation defensive line. Um, that's good enough. Maybe a 10 man or 12 man. If like a certain younger players really develop, if like a Jason Moore or a, a hero Kanu is ready right now, maybe go a little bit longer, but by and large, like, Fuck, keep it easy. Like maybe the stuff act with with Mitch, with uh, Mitch Welton and CJ Hicks helped that too. But like, you need to have these sub packages to get guys off and keep them fresh for more effective moments and not wilt in the second half and major games again. It's just the exact wrong analysis. And I think not to like bag on guys who are you know my friends, but like the problem here is a lot of other beat members of Ohio State and pretty much every media in every beat in the country. There's like very few exceptions. One guy who's fantastic who charts every game in the Pac-12. I've been reading a lot lately for our, our Pac-12 previews at Meetup Midfield. But uh, a lot of these guys don't study other teams and really study the numbers on them. Like when you have guys like celebrating a, a freshman tight end getting beat to 270 with having no context of what other tight ends who go first round look like or telling for like smaller snap counts on studying what Georgia and Bama and teams like that do or studying what you know your, your comparative programs do. Like, you have to have context and what other programs do to be effective. That's the only way you can understand how to, you know, basically have analysis for Ohio State. And there's just too often where narratives from fan bases or narratives from certain journalists catch on without full context the rest of the country looks like. And your solution yeah. is, oh, the play the players more. Yeah, that's a fucking awesome idea. Why doesn't everyone else think of that? Like, that, that's such a simple concept. That like, like you have to look at what other top programs do. It's instructive for how to behave. Like, that's the simple answer is if your scholarship count for a certain position or your coach count for a certain side of the football or all these things are way off for us, the top teams in the country, you're like, doing you, something you're, wrong. like you're doing something wrong. Like, like or, you or you've to, struck gold and you know, right. You're, one you're, you're the, the first guy to fix it up. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's pretty relevant. Like there's not, there aren't many fundamental shifts in football. It doesn't happen that often. Like there's not many times in our lifetimes where you've seen one. It's, it's a handful of things that happen here and there. Especially usually, when, I don't think anybody on a message board has ever led to a fundamental shift in the way that football is played. You know, like if, if it's, if it's what immediately jumps to your mind, I promise the coaches have thought of it before, buddy. Like, yeah, oh, man. I mean, we it's, should just play the best players more like shit, dude. I never thought of that. It just comes back to what I said is like Ohio state so often in recruiting and transfer portal stuff, scholarship counts and, and personal decisions and coaching decisions is trying to be the smartest guy in the room. Like in throwing to Mitch Rossi on critical fourth downs, you are trying to be the smartest guy in the room too often. Ryan Day is up his own ass too far. And too many guys in the beat are up Ryan Day's ass as a result. And like, that's why like guys we praise as writers, like Bill Landis, who actually like really studies the rest of the league and the rest of the country. Like he has better analysis than most other people because he knows what they're doing. (laughs) Like that it's, that's like, you have to like, it's just effort shit, I guess. I don't know. It's just, it's just putting effort in. Um, I think Tony Gerber does a great job of this to a certain extent when he studies transfers. He has a really good job of analyzing, like, while actually watching tape for, like, every game for the transfers to come in and yeah. play. Like, that stuff does matter. has an impact on your ability to kind of analyze the team. And I think more guys have to do it instead of just, like, you know, getting obsessed with what the players say or what the coaches say because they – a lot of it's bullshit and it's just lip service. And they're not right either. Like, Ohio State's defensive coaches – have not earned the benefit of like treating them like they're gods right. who are correct as for everybody else. They don't deserve that benefit right now. Yeah. And I, I, in defense of the guys who don't do that, like I do acknowledge that like sometimes it's just a job and you're just trying to do yeah, the as that you can. And you want to just like go to the press conference, write what the coach says and publish it. But that doesn't make you like good at your job by any means. And like, I remember yeah. even if we're not long, 
it wasn't long ago that um, guys at the dispatch, like Bill Rabinowitz and Tim May to an extent, just refused to cover or care about recruiting. And like they legitimately like didn't know anything about the players until they signed. And then they'd like act like it was like a big deal that they had to like learn the new players and stuff like that. Like, um, and that's changed now too. So I think it's just uh, kudos to everybody who is listening because I think it's just the consumers as consumers get more educated, it forces the people producing the content to be more educated about what they're actually producing because, um, when you get dunked on in the comments of a premium article or something like that, like it looks bad really quick. So um, really like sincerely hats off. Cause I know the people who are listening to this podcast are very plugged in and um, would waste no time in uh, dunking on Bill Rabinowitz in his Twitter mentions if he said something fucking stupid. So um, sincerely hats off to those people. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's something where, you know, I, I, I do understand it's hard. It is a job. I'm not trying to say, like, every guy has to watch every game in college football to be smart. But, like, if you're making grand sweeping statements about what the team should do and telling other people their analysis is wrong, yep. like, you and better back it up. That's all I'm that, saying. And that's, that's, that's more just guidance for the people who are listening here, like our listeners and the people, the consumers of college football media, is that, like, at the end of the day, sometimes the shit that you're reading from these people is just an article that they had to put out because it's their job to write an article. Like, you know, like it, that sounds like crass and like I'm diminishing the work, but like I know enough of these people to tell you that sometimes they don't know or don't give a shit about what they're writing and they're just writing because they have to write something that day. And nor do any out. of us at any job in the world. We all mail it yeah. in some days. Exactly. That's just how it is. And, um, so just because somebody makes a sweeping claim about something in some column that they wrote doesn't mean that it actually has validity to it. And uh, yeah, you need, and, and I also, I, I want to say too, I hope to fucking God, these media narratives aren't actually getting to a high fits coaches. I I'm praying to God that someone on there is scouting what the actual top D lines and top programs with top talent are doing, what Alabama, Georgia and Clemson are doing, but like based on their decision-making on, on like, coaching hires and coach staff composition, recruiting yeah. strategy. Do I actually yeah. trust that? I don't know if I trust that's happening. So yeah. I'm praying to fucking God. This somehow gets to, I don't know, like, I don't mean us, but like the concept of, Hey, don't do that. gets to Ohio state somehow. Yeah. I don't know. CJ Barnett started following me this week. That's, that's an interesting story. Uh, Ohio state's director of player ops or player or something like that. But Love that. Uh, the cops are watching. Yeah. The cops are watching me. So I hope to God, someone takes this seriously and pushes back on this concept in the room because it's wrong. It is simply wrong. They are yeah. wrong. And speaking of the cops watching somebody, you, that's a, my one of the best transitions I've ever had. Let's um, go. Georgia. Georgia is... I hesitate to say they're in trouble again because they're not really. Um, so basically, the um, one of the staffers that... One of the staffers that was involved in the car accident that killed the player and the Georgia staffer um, several months ago basically was suing the school. Long story short, the school has um, fired that person. And uh, I don't know, just like the number of times that there has been a negative headline 
um, the past like three months. I guess it's been way more than that. Like, are we just making a big deal about Georgia? Or is there legitimately something very concerning going on at the program? Like, I, I just, I, I don't know. Like, is it one of those things where we just notice it more because we've seen like all of the traffic violations at Georgia and all the shady shit that they've done with like getting a reporter fired and firing essentially a whistleblower and somebody who's suing the the school like for clear retaliation here like is this something that happens at every program and we're just like you know making georgia a boogeyman or is this like sincere like what, what's your take here i think i i've talked about georgia a lot both on this podcast and on on bill with me and patrick on on me or on, on um my podcast name flipping the fields yeah. <laughs> uh, we did a long episode on it and I, this is more of the same if you i know you and i talked about it a fair bit uh here and there but if you want my long-form thoughts on this me and patrick did an episode uh that i think was released as a free premium so if this is a free episode and you don't subscribe to our website you, you should do that. go listen to it on the on the flipping the field feed uh a couple weeks ago but this is a real problem. Like it, it's just like I tweeted this today, but Kirby is trying to run a program in 2023, like it's 2003. He thinks he can control the narrative, thinks he can fire everybody. Like, and there are people in the comments of this, like still blaming the Atlanta Journal Constitutional and, and ESPN for quote unquote negative coverage of Georgia, or saying it's rational to fire an employee um, because they're not like you know because of this and. Uh, like people don't understand, this is wrongful termination. Like if you're an employee you are fi- currently filing a lawsuit. You are not required to provide details to an internal investigation, which may taint the lawsuit or put you at risk in a lawsuit when you're already being asked this question that position where Georgia is perfectly capable of getting the details for deposition done in a court of law uh, with lawyers involved and not from just some dickhead who's your boss asking you questions. Like, she is acting the appropriate way. I, I got to forget the woman's name. It's Jasmine something, correct? Uh, you, I think you just said it. Um, uh, but... Victoria Bowles. Just kidding. That uh, was way off. Uh, Victoria Bowles. Like, like this is something that she she should not be answering questions for investigation. Her lawyer, which again, obviously biased. Her lawyer noted a campaign of intimidation against her. I'd be very curious what his which what his evidence of that looks like. Obviously, it's a claim the lawyer makes. We don't have evidence of that yet. I think it's to me is maybe not as serious as what happened with like the speed the repeat speed defenses and lack of punishment around it. That's obviously much more concerning. But like. Kirby is trying to rule a, a fucking, you know, like insane McCarthyite regime in Athens where no negative press is allowed. He can get the, you know, reporters who write about him fired from a paper if it's not positive enough that he's trying to get anyone who, like, you know, pushes back against the program where he, you know, there's clear, in my opinion, clear fault from Georgia the death of the player and it's serious injury to others. Like, this is stuff that should be reported on that is essential to know. I think Georgia has a real problem with that culture. Um, I don't think anything will come of it unless Kirby stops winning. I think that's pretty obvious to say yeah. that you can do whatever the fuck you want as long as you keep winning games down there and a lot of places in the country, including Ohio State. Um, I don't know, man. Like, this is... It's just more the same, right? It keeps adding up. Like, there's a new, there was a new speeding charge a week and a half ago. Uh, you know, this adds up again. Like, there's just more of this shit happening constantly, and they just don't care. Like, they are protecting the inside of their program at all costs. They have this like, you know, really delusional minds, like they're attacked from the outside because they keep pushing back harder and harder. And like, it's, it's bad. And what they're doing is bad. It's irresponsible. It's not serving these young men. Well, um, and I'm not someone who thinks that like is a college football, like lunatic who thinks these guys are actually in their job for the health of young men. They're obviously lying about that. 
But the way they're approaching this is bad and selfish and ridiculous and, and, and really toxic. Yeah. And I, I think I, I know a lot of Georgia fans because I grew up in Georgia. Um, my sister's a Georgia grad. Um, and so I've gotten like a few, like if I make comments about it, people will be like, well, you're just saying that because, you know, it's Georgia and Georgia beat Ohio State, whatever. Like, how would you how would you react if this was happening at Ohio State? I would lose my mind if that was happening at Ohio State. And like the fact that you're like questioning that, like, I don't know, like you just don't know or like listen to. I have no problem criticizing Ohio State for doing shady shit. Like it's, you know, I especially stuff that is like this isn't just like cheating in football. This is like putting people's lives in danger and ruining people's livelihoods to protect winning at football. You know, like it's it's just more serious than that. And um, I don't know. I, I, it definitely is amplified because it's happening at currently the, the program that's sitting at the top of college football. I don't think people yeah. would nearly as much if it was happening at like UTSA or something like that. Um, but that's just the sure. nature of the game. Um, so like definitely like it is on some level amplified because it's Georgia. But man, it it is not a good look. And it reminds me a lot of... Um, the kind of how Jimbo was running things in uh, Tallahassee when he was at Florida State. That's kind of the the closest comparison I can get. Yeah, Urban Meyer at Florida. Probably even worse. Yeah, Urban Meyer's players didn't kill anybody while they were on campus, at least. Like that's yeah, yeah. That's damn. Um, but I mean, and li- like you said, like that's just not how college football works now. Like you just it. You, you can't like you can't yeah. silence things to that level. It's just I don't also know. not to make light of it, but some I saw a reply in the comments of the article that Jalen Carter's body count is now twice as high as Aaron Hernandez's, uh, which is uh, technically true. Technically true. Technically the truth. Um, and yeah, I don't know. One last thing before we get out of here, this is, I'm throwing a curveball at you here. Did you see the Colin Coward thing today? Speaking oh, of technically dude, well, true, uh, yeah, Ugh, that was technically tough. true. Um, has he apologized? Has anything come out since? I don't think he's apologized. I don't think he's apologized. He's definitely one of those dudes that just like moves on from controversy and just never addresses it. Like that's kind of his. Yeah, I get it. Um, just like, he's never, he's probably going to show up on his show tomorrow and just like pretend that nothing happened. Um, and he's like, I think he's pretty famous for doing that just is never going to address it. Um, but I mean, he, if for those of you who have not been online, I get applaud you. Um, he tweeted, or in his show, he did a segment on quarterbacks who cannot win a Super Bowl, like just are incapable of winning a Super Bowl. And he listed Dwayne Haskins by name, and it was printed in the graphic that was on his show, um, is quarterbacks that cannot win a Super Bowl. And that is factually correct, given that Dwayne Haskins tragically died 18 months ago. So, um, you know, I guess props to him. He got creative and found a way to be objectively correct on his show, but um, not not the way you want to do it. And big yikes! I like legitimately could not believe I saw that. And like uh, more than that, like that's one of those where he said it out loud too. And it's one thing if that like slips onto a graphic, but like how can you be paid millions of dollars to talk about NFL football every Crazy. day for hours? and not be aware as soon as that graphic pops up on your screen enough to read the name out loud that, Oh, this guy died two years ago or a year and a half ago. I'd like, that's what blew my mind is like, 
You can't yeah. pretend to know anything about football if you still thought that Dwayne Haskins, who died a year and a half ago, was a quarterback in the NFL. And by the way, uh, Colin Cowherd, famously a friend of our our, our good buddy Ken Stickney, Nevada Buck. Uh, yes, yes. Colin Cowherd, Colin Cowherd has used Nevada Buck is a um is a source. I wouldn't on like, many an, occasions an, yeah. an, an, an unnamed unnamed source many times is like I've got friends down in Columbus who say blank. Um, yep, many that, many times that 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 has happened a lot. So um, yeah, man. I that was my tough scene. Bit. Tough scene. But yeah, man. what a dirtbag. Um, yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, um sour note to end on, but uh it is what yeah, it is. Yeah, well, well, do. Um well man, I, I mean we keep getting closer to the season. Uh previews are rolling out. We have the Pac 12 previews going on. I mean at midfield this week. Uh I think we just published the Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah ones today. We got USC coming tomorrow for some interested fans plus UCLA, Cal, and Stanford, some Big Ten teams coming this week. Um, Pac-12 preview. Uh, if you guys want to check that out, uh, subscribe to me at midfield.com. It is good content. Um, we are doing, I think, some of the most exhaustive previews out there this, uh, of the season. Um, obviously, we have our podcast rolling. Me and Patrick have ours rolling uh, with, uh, you know, flipping the field. Boards are getting pretty pretty active right now. Everyone's starting to get pretty crazy and the rest is out there, so that's been fun. So, I'm excited for uh, I'm excited for football, dude. I'm just ready for football to get here. Yeah, we're almost there. We've almost made it. So uh, just gotta get through camp, and then our enemies are gonna hear from us. So we will see you guys next week. I think next week we're gonna do a premium pod. I don't even know if this was supposed to be a free pod, but it's a free pod today. Um, next year we're gonna we're gonna plan something fun, and uh, we'll 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 do something for for fall camp. But it'll be a premium pod. Um, subscribe to the site if you want that one, and uh, you know, outside of that. Go Bucks! Michigan sucks and help is on the way.